The Appendix and Podcast, Episode 38, The Sunken Land and Thieves' House by Fritz Leiber. Welcome to the Appendix N Podcast, a Tome Show production. My name is Jeffrey Wynn. This is the show where we discuss the adventurous tales of the authors that appeared in Appendix N of the 1979 Dungeon Master's Guide, meant to serve as inspirational reading for those who would master the dungeons of fantasy. A good book is like an adventurer's best friend, and whether you're a stalwart barbarian or a rakish rogue, you can always count on a friend to have your back. For those of you listening at home, you are encouraged to read along with us and send us your comments. Listen to the end of the episode for some of the stories we'll be discussing on future episodes, and email your thoughts to thetomeshow at gmail.com. Okay, on with the show. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Jeff Wickstrom. Hiya, happy to be here. Welcome back, Jeff. And our our returning guest, Jeremiah McCoy. Hey, you guys. Hey. And joining us for the first time is a uh, newcomer to the Appendix N podcast, but not to the Tome Show Network, Darcy Ross. Welcome, Darcy. Hello, it's good to be here. All right. And since this is your first time on the show, why don't you introduce the listeners to, to, to Darcy Ross? Who are you? Excellent. Uh, so I'm Darcy Ross. I mix science and gaming is kind of my shtick. I study snails by day and create horrible Molluscan monsters. Uh, and by night, I uh, do a lot with Numenera, the Monte Cook game setting that's very, uh, very friendly to uh, horrible monstrosities and science and magic and technology. Um yeah, so what I do, what I what I end up reading a lot is uh, I love Lovecraft. I love, um, you know, big swirling fantasy epics like uh, The Wheel of Time and, um, you know, anything Sanderson is, is fabulous who wrapped up that series. So I've read a ton of fantasy, but I'm not quite as well versed in sci-fi, but I've been making some big strides there lately. Um, one thing I've been reading uh, has been uh, Binti. It's a short story that has... It's this fabulous sci-fi uh, sort of African culture-based um, novella with with lots of living spaceships and cephalopods and everything's great. So uh, that's been my big reading list lately. Interesting. Who, who wow. wrote that? Nenendi. Uh, I cannot. I'm probably not going to pronounce her name right, but Akata Four or something. Well, She's she great. is. She is not on Appendix N. Um, As it turns out. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, uh, Jeff and I have, have often talked that if we ever get to the end of Appendix N, we, we may have to do a corollary uh, podcast. But you will, you will certainly get a crash course in classic sci-fi and fantasy uh, literature being a part of this show. Uh, well, you know, for a particular definition of, fantasy, of classic and also a particular definition of fantasy and sci-fi. Uh, but here we are like, what, two and a half years in and we've made it all the way to 1942. Mm-hmm. So it, it, <laughs> and it took it took civilization, you know, thousands of years. I don't Lord only knows how many to get to 1942. <laughs> so I think we're go- we're moving at a pretty good clip. You you mentioned uh, Numenera. I was excited excited recently to see that uh, Torment is finally coming coming out. It's almost here. It's almost in our hands. I cannot wait. They've they've got like yeah. actual like packaging art and and everything. I backed that Kickstarter. I I, I want my game. <laughs> it's been so long, but it's so it's going to be so worth the wait. I played the beta a bunch, and it was fabulous. And the novellas that have come out have been great too, uh, in terms of keeping things on the, the train. Some really really good novellas if you've read I did, them. 
I did I did not back the Kickstarter, and I I never played the the original uh, uh, torment, uh, Planescape torment. But I I am kind of excited about about this game. Before we get to the meat of our discussion, let's have a word from our sponsor. Ah, hey, it's me, Snark. I don't really like Noble Knights that much, but NobleKnight.com is okay by me. You know why? They got tons of products for me where I can just be hiding in dungeons and stuff like that. Also, it's it's really, really cool. I get to find all these bestiaries that I can fill my dungeon with and all kinds of goblin miniatures. So check out Noble Knight. They'll even buy old gaming products that you aren't using anymore, and they're awesome. NobleKnight.com. Make sure you tell them the Tome Show sent you. Okay, back to the show. Uh, the first uh, t- tonight we are discussing uh, two more short stories by Fritz Leiber about the adventuring duo Fofford the Northerner and the Gray Mauser, and these tales come once again from the collection Swords Against Death, published in 1970 by Ace Books. Uh, they were previously published in Two Sought Adventure in 1957 by Gnome Press. Um, not related, I think, to the blog that uh, Darcy works for. <laughs> uh, maybe, Sadly, no. <laughs> maybe an ancestor. Maybe. Uh, so the first uh, tale that we're going to discuss tonight is The Sunken Land, originally published in 1942 in Unknown uh, Magazine. Um, and in the, in the reading order that Liber gives us in the collection uh, Swords Against Death, this comes on the heels of the Howling Tower. Uh, we, we saw how Fawford and the Grey Mauser got very far from their, from their homeland in the Bleak Shore. And in the Howling Tower, we saw them sort of walking back along some kind of frozen northern continent. But now, now they're they're sailing back to uh, Lankmar, on on a boat that apparently Fofford has mostly repaired himself. He he turns out to be quite the quite the seaman. Uh, and it begins uh, auspiciously with the finding of a ring inside a fish, which, if you've read uh, fantasy literature, uh, often does not turn out well for the finder of said ring. Are there any examples of finding a ring being an unalloyed good thing? I well, can't. I can't think of one. I can't think of one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, up until the publication of the Lord of the Rings, uh, Bilbo's finding of the ring was pretty much a good a good thing. It didn't really have any negative aspects, but uh, that's true. Yeah, if you if you look at just the Hobbit in isolation, the only person who suffers as a result of that is Gollum. And Gollum is a jerk. So, <laughs> fair enough. Uh, to, uh, useful hint to DMs who may be listening. Maybe if you want to give uh, a cursed item to your PCs, have them find it in a fish. <laughs> there you go. All right, so this this tale um, seems very love Lovecraftian to me. Uh, and, and progresses very rapidly in, in, in almost a, a dreamlike state. Uh, Fawford, yeah, yeah. Fawford finds this, this ring, and he almost immediately recognizes that its, its design comes from the ancient civilization of Simorgia. 
Is that is that yeah. the name? Which is a pretty crazy coincidence that yeah. Fawford <laughs> happens to be familiar with the tiny handful of Samorgian relics that have survived to the present day. And and the coincidence is just just keep on building in like very rapid uh, su- suggestion. He he recounts the tales of how his northern barbarian ancestors used to raid Samorgia, which was this powerful island nation kind of like A- Atlantis or or Numenor. Uh, and then uh, Samorgia sunk beneath the waves, and that was a long time ago. But then almost as, as almost as soon as he's done telling the story, they run smack dab into a ship full of northern barbarians that just happened to be seeking for the sunken island of Samorgia. Now, uh, am, am I the am I the only person who, reading this, uh, in, encountered this uh, this strange boat and immediately? concluded that this was some kind of flying Dutchman crew of the undead, uh, that these were zombies, and that was the reason that they were being so bizarre and uh, silent. And so finding out that they're just a bunch of guys who were laboring under a vow of silence um, really felt like a, felt like a, an, an, an interesting twist. It was not something I was expecting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely had a you know, sort of haunted ship uh, set up. And uh, when it turned out to not to be that, I was intrigued. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Some part of me is still holding out. There was a bit of haunting going on. <laughs> but you're right. It, it definitely, I expected it to be like zombie, you know, zombie oarsmen. And they were just dudes. Yeah, I'm, I'm very quiet. I'm not sure that the, that, that the whole thing isn't some kind of, of, of uh, fever dream that that Fawford's having as he's laying there in the boat, you know, on the, on the open ocean, you know, with the, with the sun beating down on him. Cause he, yeah, he, like no sooner is he, is he on, on the boat, you know, he, he fights for a bit, but then he's sort of drafted into, into service and he, he meets this, um, uh, uh, mingle, which I guess is, is the Lankmarian version of, of a, of a Mongol. Uh, cause, cause they, they had mingle slaves in a, in a previous story. And I guess they're, they're a little, little foreign people. Uh, he, he, he meets this mingle slave who, who comes over and tells him all about what's going on with the ship and the, and the vow of silence. And then the mingle slave is immediately killed by the captain, like almost as yep. soon as he's done telling this tale. Uh, and then almost immediately after that, they, they sight land and then they're on, on board land and Fawford's looking at all these things as they're, as they're rushing inland and then they find this this door, which just so happens to be locked with a, a, a key that is part of the ring that Fawford found at the beginning of this tale. Uh, I, I feel like you really hit the nail on the head when you said that this was, was dreamlike. Mm-hmm. Um, because Definitely. all of the things that you said, those are the things that happen in this story. And they happen one right after the other. And... Every single thing that happens is bizarrely implausible, uh, yeah. but Fawford is just kind of swept up in this narrative, uh, again, in a way that I found surprisingly effective. I actually really enjoyed the story a lot. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I actually, I, I had sort of a, a writerly thought on it. Um, yes. The uh, so occasionally you will go, all right. I have an idea for a story, and you'll talk to your editor, and the editor will say, sure, but the only room I have is this many thousand words. Can you get it under that? 
uh, you get that for an article or what have you. I this kind of felt like Liber had the idea for this story. He's like, yeah, I want to do this sort of Lovecraft style thing, and he went to an editor, and the editor's like, well, it sounds great, but I only have space for like this this length of a story. Can you do it under that? Mm-hmm. And but, so it, it's all very compressed. But it, I mean, it 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 works though, because I mean, you know, uh, Dunsany and and Lovecraft both wrote in this very dreamlike dreamlike style. Uh, and the the fact that like there there is no sense of the passage of time in this in this tale, uh, it makes it seem very much like like just some 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 sort of dream or uh, hallucination. Um, so I I think that works to the, to the story's ad, advantage. It gives it a weird press like pressing like the 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 energy of the story in that compressed time really works for me, uh, especially at the end when he's sort of coming. And he's realizing what horrible sunken place, you know, he realizes that this sunken land must have only recently risen mm-hmm. and he starts running and, you know, he's just having this like clarity kind of shine through the the dreamlike state. I felt like, you know, having him be so willing to like go along with this weird dreamlike experience and then only then be like, oh, no, I'm going to nope out. Uh, <laughs> there are horrible octopi mm-hmm. here and this is clearly going to go badly for everyone. Um, that That turning point worked really well for me after they had set up that he's so invested in the dream uh, up till then. Yeah. yeah, the the image of them coming across this treasure chamber and the you have these chests that are just completely decomposed and the wood is is soft as cheese, the metal is quote a black smeary ooze unquote and you know within there's just this lump of gold and jewels. I thought that was a very, very evocative image. Now, if you yeah. if you put your player characters in this situation, do you do you think that they would have the the uh, wherewithal to to run away? Now, see that um, <laughs> that I think is a an interesting question because it's really easy to to say no player characters never run away. We're we're conditioned by by so many so many things, years of experience to never uh, to never run away. That any challenge that we face is something that we theoretically can overcome. So there's no reason to to run away. That's a that's always a bad strategic move. Um, and getting over that hump really requires questioning a lot of the implicit assumptions that your players have uh, and I would argue that one way to do that is to set up a uh, this kind of almost surreal dreamlike atmosphere to to indicate that here is here's something here's something that's not of the norm this is not a the kind of situation that Fawford is equipped to deal with and mm-hmm. so running away is therefore a reasonable thing um, when we see Fawford in other stories, he's he's generally more or less in his element and uh, less inclined to run away. Although he does run away from a thing in Thieves' House, now that I think about mm-hmm. it. Uh, but that's not to say that <laughs> running away is is part of his his bag of tricks. He, um, I, I I think the image that we get painted of him, if you're talking about Fawford and the Grey Mouser is different than the image that is actually in the stories. Because when you hear totally people talk... I totally agree. Yeah. 
because you you hear him described as a barbarian, and he is, but he's also kind of a scald. He's kind of like a bard. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, a little bit, he, yeah. He's smarter than he seems. He's more gentle than you would expect from, you know, the barbarian archetype. He has a lot of contradictions to that image. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this story actually emphasizes some of those. The fact that he knows all these stories is sort of that scald tradition to him. Well, I think the shorthand for Fawford is that he's basically Conan the Barbarian. Yeah. and Con- Conan, of course, also has like 18s in all of his stats, including mm. wisdom and charisma. <laughs> yeah, but I I like him more than more than Conan. Fawfer definitely has more personality. Uh, Fawfer other... seems to be enjoying himself a lot more. Yeah, the <laughs> other image that I I found evocative, the the image that they have in here, is he's running away. Right? He's he's like, all right, I've realized this is bad. I got to go. And the image that they describe is him running through this phosphorescent tunnel yeah. towards blackness. And that's the good thing. The black <laughs> is the good part. I need to go there. <laughs> yeah, and we yeah, don't, it, it we would, don't even it really... Have, it would not have surprised me if the, if the thing that they were inside turned out to be some kind of giant stony monster yeah. um, at all. It was practically living already. All yeah. sorts of crabs yeah. walking on it and phosphorescent little beasties from the depths of the ocean. Like the uh, the living tower in the the very first Fawford mm-hmm. Masters. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And and like we don't even really see what's behind the door, but apparently it's it's monsters that that look like cloaks and and manta rays. Yeah, I like mean, like little... yeah, I think yeah. I think this might be like the the inspiration for like like the cloaker and the and the dark mantle. All those all those monsters that sort of look like. You know the the ceiling or a, or a piece of clothing on a on a on a coat rack. Yeah, I don't know that what Liber was trying to communicate actually was necessarily that. I I agree that that's this is this is one origin of that you know family of D and D monsters. I think it's more that you know big black hulking shape, uh, big black hulking shape, is uh, just just very vague. Mm-hmm. Um, the mouser doesn't know what he saw. Yeah, I mean it. It also could have could have been been a Shoggoth. Yeah, it could definitely have been a Shaggoth. Yeah, I was <laughs> I was pretty sure that the thing in the in the Howling Tower was was also a Shoggoth. So, um, mm. yeah. So, I, 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 I I don't know if that uh, that it's actually incorrect to say that they are uh, essentially creatures shaped like cloaks or something. I don't. I think it's more like they were, you know, if you ne- needed an explanation like living shadows or manta rays or something like that, I agree with that. I don't think that it they're, you know, amorphous, non-formed things. I think they actually had a form. It's just sure, sure, but whether. Well, whether they were whether they were the the whether they like zombies from ancient um, Simorgia, or whether they were undersea monsters, or whether they were um, some third thing that's not coming to me right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what exactly they were is not only opaque. Fawford and the Grandmaster don't get to find out, but it doesn't really matter what they were. Uh, they right. were just they were monsters. There were monsters. Fawford what I liked them. was his realization at the end, though, that you know this this whole dreamlike experience was clearly. The desire, you know, he he was thinking that it might be the desire of these things to get out, like mm-hmm. that fish with the ring 
thinking all of this was part of the plan to get to that moment. Uh, I thought that was really good and ominous about, you know, even, I'm glad we didn't find out any more about these horrible creatures, but mm. the giving them that kind of uh, dark, um, like intelligence and, and craftiness was really, was really cool as, yeah, as it- they're running away from it. It, it it reminds me of how when when Cthulhu supposedly stirs in his in his sleep he sends he sends dreams in, into the minds of like artists and ma- oh yeah ma- madmans and that's 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 a big theme in in Lovecraft. Um, I want to mm-hmm. I want to cap off this discussion by saying what I what I think a great name Simorgia uh, is. Um, Lank Lankmar has has so far like distinct. Well, I think the world's called what Newan. No one. Yeah. yeah. The 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 universe that Liber is creating has like distinguished it, itself as being it, it's definitely not Earth and it, it's also not you know, it's it's not like a an alternate version of Earth where the countries just have, you know, different different names. It's definitely like like another place. Another mm-hmm. an, another planet. Uh and Simorgia is very uh, evocative while also not sounding like quite you know quite like any anything on on earth it doesn't sound like like greek or or latin or or german or it wasn't too close to atlantis either you know yeah yeah that's true if robert e howard had written this story it would be called atlantis Mm -hmm. right (laughs) or you know bablantis or something like that or like atalan or or something right Mm -hmm. sure sure um but yeah you're right nehuan is a a completely original world it's not meant to be earth at any stage Mm -hmm. um which is not something that we've seen a lot of up to this point Mm -hmm. in appendix n i mean farford's farford's northern kin are quite clearly you know vikings but that's that's like about about all the similarities that we get. Yeah, and, and, and that, I think, stems as much as anything from the idea that Fawford is basically Conan with the serial number filed off. Mm-hmm. I, I think the um, there are a couple of other sort of near references, like uh, uh, Mingle are clearly Mongols in a lot of ways mm-hmm. when you when you read about them. Uh, when they show up later, it's like, oh, okay, they're basically Mongols. They're the foreigners from off in that direction that look vaguely Asian. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, uh, a couple of other places where there were some references to uh, things that have analogies to Earth. But, yeah, it's its own thing. Uh, he clearly has an idea of the geography uh, of the world uh, because... In several of the stories, he describes in great detail how to get from point A to point yeah. B, mm-hmm. which I, mm-hmm. which is it, which is neat. I, I I I like being able to try and picture the map, even if I don't have the map in front of me. Mm-hmm. It's done well. It's not like I'm losing it. You know, it's it's sort of a, it's almost like that Thirteenth Age vignette mechanic where you, you know, you're like I have to get from point A to point B what interesting things do we see along the way? And you just kind of list a couple cool locations, right? So you give those highlights as you move across the map, but it's not, mm-hmm. you know, it's not 30 kilometers due east of whatever, right? <laughs> yeah. I think, I think there was a, there was a bunch of that in, in, in the bleak shore when they're, when they're sailing out and, and he, he mentions like all the things that they're sailing past, mm-hmm. but you know, it, it's, it's, it's also been like, like names of months and, and, <sighs> yeah. and yeah. things. Yeah. yeah. 
the specificity of the world is really good. It, you know, it, it doesn't. Re- the story doesn't rely on your knowledge of the specificity, but it feels it's it's just other ways he reinforces that this world is not Earth, and there's a whole lot of culture going on that we're not really privy to. Mm-hmm. He, he also just living in. He, he also wrote about this world and these characters for fifty years, <laughs> uh, and he he keeps returning to some of these things. Like there's a story in the next. Uh, collection where they talk about Samorgia uh, again. Oh, nice. hmm. So I mean, uh, it, so it, uh, and um, or the the Mingol who showed up in the 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 uh, was it the I forget the the name of the story the one where they go off to the, the Lake Asian, Shore. Yeah, the Lake, Lake Shore. Shore. Uh, he shows up. Uh, they don't forget that things happened. Hmm. It gets uh, used again. Yeah, it just keeps coming back, and it's like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. this happened here. Or they'll make a mention in a story that happens in an earlier chronology, uh, chronology, or that hasn't been written yet. Mm-hmm. Would you? Is it fair to say then that Newon, the the Lankmar setting, is uh, sort of the the archetype of the the fantasy world that. Dungeons and Dra- generic Dungeons and Dragons adventures come in. Oh yeah, this are, is that there are thousands and thousands of homebrew worlds that resemble Newon a lot more than they resemble Middle Earth with its, you know, all of that, all of the baggage of Middle Earth. Uh, oh yeah, Newon is is very much the the Flanes and uh, Lankmar is very much Great Greyhawk City. Mm. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. But also, uh, but also, um, what is it? Waterdeep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And and Mistara and you know whatever whatever other worlds worlds there 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 are. Sure. It, it's it's definitely a uh, there's adventure all around you, and this city has some too. Mm-hmm. Come play your game here, kind of mm-hmm. setting uh, certainly, and it's pretty obvious that it played a heavy role. Informing how, like Greyhawk and uh, Blackmore and some of the early settings formed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, I have a question for you guys uh, per- pertaining to that. So I haven't read too many of the other stories. I read a smattering, um, but I was wondering if you guys have read a bunch. Uh, I do find it very uh, hilarious that in in all these writers that you know imagine total non-Earths, you know the similarities of like women can't be in roles of power is sort of predominant. Uh, and I know it's a product of its time, but, you know, with Numenera and things like that, they've they've at least taken that into consideration and said, it's non-Earth. There can be women in power, <laughs> positions of power. Um, are any of the other stories, do, do, do women get anything in any of these other stories? Because they get, they get a pretty short shaft uh, in, in this one, there, in, in the ones I read. There are exceptional women, but I think pretty much without exception, the worlds uh, that we've looked at in Appendix N are almost entirely really patriarchal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I believe it. I, mean, I, was, I was always hoping. I had I mean, hoped cer- for a... cer- Certainly there are exceptional women, yeah. but um, but like structurally, I yeah. think there's... Like you said, it is product of the time. Every story we've read so far has been written before 1942 um mm-hmm. I mean, so that certainly contributes to you know that 
the attitudes of the time compared to the writers' attitudes uh-huh. when they're writing the world. Um, I, I thought it, the the lady in the thief house, you know, she was almost like a cool lady with agency, and then they kind of took it away at the end. But yeah, there, there were inklings that it could have happened, and uh, and Fafford and the that. Gray Mousers, their partners. You know, the, the women who get fridged in the first story I wrote, right? So the reason they're leaving Lankmar and going off on adventures is because their lady loves have died, mm-hmm. uh, which is hilarious. But but the the ones, you know, the stories you hear about them is that, you know, they were like, the one was a, was a like really successful thief. So at least there were like inklings of women can yeah. do stuff. It was just, so I, I, the, I the found stories, more than I expected to, mm-hmm. to enjoy. The stories not describing those women mm-hmm. were written much later. Mm-hmm. To be added to these collections. Cool. Uh, so he had time to mature, I guess. So they got a lot more sort of screen time, a lot more chance to be awesome. Awesome! Um, I'm excited for that. Um, the uh, and there are a couple of other writers before this that did a, a, a decent job. Manuel Wade Weldman did a uh, a good story where basically the hero was the nurse who lived next door. <laughs> Who yes. Saves the day. That's like, a, that was a good one. Yeah, Golgotha dancers. Yes. yes. The 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 forgotten classic. <laughs> yeah. The, the the guy is is kind of screwed until she shows up and saves him. <laughs> That's all right. Cool. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Are we um, we're, since so, since we're since we're like for appendix N, we're we're going through these tales in chronological order of when they were written. We've. I like. I think we've seen them slowly get less sexist, but they're they're mm-hmm. still they're still sexist. So <laughs> hopefully, hopefully we'll we'll see that improve as as time yeah, time time fun. time goes on. My headcanon um, when I first started reading these stories was that Fafford and the Gray Mouser, the way they were described, sounded exactly like Xena and uh, Gabrielle from Xena the Warrior Princess. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so in my head, for all of these stories, I have consistently continued to place <laughs> Xena as Fafford and uh, Gabrielle as uh, the Grey Mouser. And I highly recommend it because it's wonderful uh, as a headcanon. <laughs> Gabrielle's... I can imagine that slotting in really easily. It works real well. <laughs> Gabrielle's probably a lot more perky and blonde than, than the Grey than the gray Mouser. The Grey Mouser's pretty pretty silver tongued though, you know. He's a social guy, wheeling and dealing. Mm-hmm. I like yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, he is. All right. Well, let's let's move on to uh, the next story, uh, Thieves' House, uh, mm-hmm. which was written in 1943 for the magazine uh, Unknown. Also, uh, and in this this tale, um, and, and again, when 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 these were originally written and and, and published in Un- Unknown magazine. That you know, I, I I'm sure Lieber, you know, had had a vague idea of of how they were uh, connected. But in the in the collection Swords Against Death, uh, this comes this comes after Jewels in in the forest, but before the bleak shore. The the story actually opens with uh, a bunch of thieves talking about how they're going to hire uh, Fofford and and the Grey Mauser to. Uh, break into uh, what is it a crypt uh, where where they, they they've learned that there's a, a, a skull with uh, jewels in the in the eyes and uh, and and two jeweled hands which is, is already very dungeons and dragons uh, mm-hmm. and they they hire this they, they've they've got this this one thief who like 
specializes in the in the double cross. Like he's got he's got five ranks in 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 double crossing, uh, <laughs> and, and he has uh, explicit in instructions to go out and get our our, our heroes and have them break in, 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 into the crypt and then make away with with the skull as soon as as that's done and so you it's you're kind of set up that this is going to be the story of this you know the story of how they broke in, into the crypt but then it jumps to they've already already done that <laughs> they've already mm-hmm. done that and and the the thief is is already back at the secret thief hideout called uh, thieves house and it's it's a story. It's it's basically a caper of of how all these uh, parties are trying to get this uh, skull, and they're running around in in thieves' house and outside of thieves' house and underneath uh, thieves' house, and you can almost hear the <laughs> hear the Benny Hill theme playing at at yes. <laughs> some point. Uh, and um, yeah, what what you guys think of this story? Let's start with start with Darcy. Oh man, I was this was. Ah, oh, this is such a D and D story, you know. Um, it was really good. Uh, gosh, I I really loved the descriptions. Like the writing style of these stories was just beautiful, beautiful and dark. Um, you know, and I, as soon as I started reading it, I thought we would, you know, actually get to experience that. Oh, we're gonna go get the skull from the the you know the uh, crypt or whatever, uh-huh. and they just skip immediately to all the, you know, the um the just chaos that happens afterwards. And what I really liked was um. Fafford, uh, you know, he like in both of these stories, he takes a lot of lumps, you know, he gets smacked in the head like 10 times real bad mm-hmm. in the story. Okay. Uh, Guy's got a lot of hit points. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know he does. But it was just, you know, a lot of stories I read in, in this vein, you know, the heroes are off heroing and they're doing real good stuff. And every once in a while, you know, they screw up. But this is just like a mess. Like everybody's just, you know, you can feel the die rolls at the at the different junctures, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, what, what else did you guys think? I, I have a lot of opinions, but mostly I loved this story. So this story answered a question something that i i hadn't realized had been bugging me for almost 30 years Uh uh-huh uh there's a computer game pool of radiance uh came out in 1988 yes uh, set in the forgotten realms ad and d first edition and i played an enormous amount of it uh because i I would love to do this thing where i would make characters and then play it for uh, a couple of hours and then uh, get bored and, and quit and the next time just make new characters and start over fresh. So I played the first uh, couple of hours of Pool of Radiance. I don't know how many times. Uh, but in Pool of Radiance, there's a sequence where the player characters are going through this abandoned mansion, Covel Mansion, mm-hmm. which is a, a thieves guild. It's, it's been converted to taken over by thieves. And it's full of... Uh, two things. It's full of traps, which there's very little of elsewhere in Pool of Radiance, and it's full of really terrible treasure. Um, Like moldering tapestries and (laughs) tarnished, uh, stuff that's described as tarnished and and so forth, and uh, for, for a very long time I have always wondered, why is it that this Thieves' Guild is full of semi valuable junk? Which is a detail that's just like absent in in everything else. Uh, Pool of Radiance is really stylized, uh, for lack of a better term. And so whoever was designing Covel Mansion made the decision to fill it up with semi-valuable junk as treasure. And 
I, I never never understood why, and now now having read Thieves' House, I understand. Uh, it's a direct reference to this story. The cool. whole that whole section of the game is is basically that's a direct amazing. To story. I I. Uh... I, I think one of the things that struck me about reading the story, first off, I have to agree, Liber, so I had read, before we started doing Appendix N stuff, I had read, I think, one short story by him, and I thought it was good, but, you know, it was always, uh, I need to get back to reading that eventually. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the first time I've actually gone through and systematically just gone through and trying to read all of his stuff. I'm on the third collection now. <laughs> Um, it goes fast. It I, I, I was complaining last uh, last time that I had not read a lot of Elsprague de Camp, and I was I was a little bit disappointed because I had higher expectations that were not met. And it it turns out that the author I was thinking of was Fritz Lieber. Yes, uh, it's a, it's, his, these his, are these are some really good stories. The, the 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 framing of this story made me so happy. Like the way it starts, you don't have any of your heroes in the story. They are sort of halfway mentioned, and then you're told, oh, you're going to get them to go on a mission. Oh, okay, great. No. (laughs) (laughs) They're going to show up later to kill a guy who tried to screw them. I think the last time we saw anything similar to that was uh, one of the early Conan the Barbarian stories. Uh, The one that was basically a police procedural set in the the Republic of Rome. Um. I, I also awesome. love the the uh, what looks like something that would be text in an old D and D module mm-hmm. that's in the first of the story. The item, the skull of Humble. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Of the, yeah, of the master thief Umphol, with great ruby eyes and one pair of jeweled hands. History of item: the skull of Umphol was stolen from the thieves' guild by the priests of Bodashal and placed by them in the crypt of their accursed temple. I mean, it's like, it read like <laughs> old module text. For a second, when I was reading it, I was a little concerned that I had somehow gotten my hands not on Thieves' House, but on some game, uh, some gamer's blog about Thieves' House. And, and just the way they talk about it, the, 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 they, they point out, it's weird, right? You know, it doesn't say the skull of Amthol. They say mm-hmm. the skull Amthol. Why is that? <laughs> yeah, and they and they talk about like how it, it used to be part of uh, Thieves' House, and there and there there used to be like secret rites uh, in the in the basement, but uh, the the old ways died died out, and and yeah, you know, was, modern thieves are. Times, it was olden times. <laughs> olden people are stupid. So yeah, yeah. There you go. That explains and, and, everything. But it's despite this sort of humorous aside of it, it pays off. He he is doing setup, and it pays off. And it pays off well. You have undead who secretly were running the Thieves' Guild for centuries, and the thieves sort of forgot about it. And the, the undead show up and say, no, no, we're taking it back. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was really surprised at what, what the fate of Omfall was at the end. You know, it's this petty, the kind of the master of the thieves guild right smashes it and it's just being a jerk um as all these supernatural things are happening and like like the the big major MacGuffin gets smashed at the end and i i, I was 
couldn't believe what I was reading. Um, but it, it worked perfectly. But I, I, I just thought that that's something I had to try in my own games, right? It's like, you finally got the big thing. You're about to complete the right. And the, the rival adventuring party, like, crushes it from you, right? Yeah, but I uh. think, I think uh, Grey, Grey Mauser still ma- managed to, to get away with a, with a few of the gems. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Which is which Enough is to cover a couple of weekends worth of drinking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you don't you don't want to carry around a uh, a demi lich with you. That <laughs> is a usually, bad idea. Usually, these kinds of magical items you have to throw into a volcano or something. Um, <laughs> the idea that something is actually as fragile as it looks is yeah, there's exactly. not a whole lot of precedent for that in D anD. d Yeah, I, I I have to say, if I were I think the next time I write up a, a thieves guild, I may I may have it run by undead, because <laughs> yeah, that that are doing it for you know to uh, uh, accumulate a horde for some reason, just <laughs> and, like all the living agents are out there serving these undead because they don't want to be eaten by them. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Good. <laughs> I, so this is perhaps the origin of the ubiquitous concept of the thieves guild or an origin of the ubiquitous concept of the Thieves' Guild, as seen in Dungeons & Dragons, um, over and over again. But it is kind of odd uh, that we never see Thieves' Guilds that are dominated by secret undead. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you can't just keep keep doing the same thing over over and 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 over again i mean we well, i think i think if there's um, one thing that we figured out it's that when gary gygax read something that he really liked he he lifted it wholesale mm-hmm. <laughs> well and, and to be fair the, the thieves guilds reappear in several of the stories and sometimes they're influenced by the undead and sometimes not so much uh, so this is this is a thieves guild it's not the thieves guild yeah this saying. is Lankmar's main one but uh, i the other nifty thing that's worth noting when they're talking about their history with uh, Faffer and the Grey Mouser, mm-hmm. they mention why Faffer and the Grey Mouser are persona non grata to the Thieves Guild. Mm-hmm. Right. They, 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 they mention uh, incidents that don't get uh, written about, like, like you said, uh, Jer- Jeremiah until, until much, much later in the, in the sixties and seventies. Right. Which I, I was just like, did he know? Or did he just go back and like, all right, I said this. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll write this now. I gave I'm, myself an adventure hook. I guess I should write that. I'm fairly yeah. certain it's the it's the latter. I don't I don't think he was planning yeah. out his stories 30, 30 years uh, in advance. I mean, if, if he was, he's a he's a he's a some some kind of weird weird genius. I I I guess, but no, I just I just, I just think he he. Yeah, he, he he went back to this seed of a, of an idea years years later when his characters were popular and said, "Okay, what can what can we do with this with this uh, with with this idea?" Um, there is there is uh, there is the the one lady thief who's who's like a like a third party in in all of this because she she she's the one who like originally makes away with the skull. Um, Wait, the red-haired something wench. The something red-haired wench. Bold. Yeah. As she gets, because she gets a name at the end, but for a while she's just. <laughs> uh, if Ivlis, I think. I think her. Ivlis. Her, yeah, her yeah, name she's is cool. Ivlis. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she's like, you know, she's she's like, uh, you know, the the gray spy uh, of this of this whole uh, yeah. scenario. That's a that's a spy she, versus. She spy almost reference. gets away with it. 
Or no, yeah. she does get away with it ultimately. If not right? for that, uh, that meddling bunch of kids. Yeah, well, if if uh, if uh, Gray Mauser hadn't uh, disguised himself as an as an old old uh, fortune teller and snuck and into spouted her... some amazing nonsense, <laughs> oh, it was so good. And threw a cat at her. He threw a kitten at her. Oh, I loved that so much. His, yeah, and, his disguise. And she, and she she saw through it at at just the last last moment. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, you know, at the at the very end of the story, Ivlis is uh, you know hooking up with the Gray Mauser. So she she does in fact get out uh, more or less uh, victorious. She doesn't get the magic skull uh, full of gems, but nobody else does either. Yeah, well, I mean the the only reason she was she was hiding in the first place was she she was afraid Grey Mauser was there on on behalf of the of the thieves guild uh, uh, leader to kill her. And once she once she figured out that Grey Mauser wasn't wasn't there to kill her, she was ready to, re- ready to join join forces. Yeah, she's uh, actually it, all in all, uh, considering that the one of the conceits of the story is women aren't allowed in the thieves guild. Right. Uh, she's does pretty awesome, given that conceit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Within the within the constraints of the the patriarchal society of Lankmar, she's yeah. exceptional. Yeah. Certainly, she's she's clearly got 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 goals. Yeah, but I, 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 it cracks me up so hard that the the end of the story is essentially a pickup line from Grey Mouser to the to the lady. <laughs> I forget what it was. Something about the fingers of the, you know, the ancient god king of the the thieves guild. Um, had something about the you know he would prefer pink fingers uh, <laughs> suitably attired or something. Bone, bones covered runs, in sexy flesh. Yeah. My my taste runs to pink bones fittingly clothed. Thank you. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Oh, yeah. so funny. All right. Well, I think I think we've about neared uh, the end of our discussion uh we've 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 only had uh two stories on the on the docket tonight um i think i think i can say that that we enjoyed both of them uh really well does anyone have any immensely immensely yes uh does anyone have any final comments on either the sunken land or thieves house go out and read them people yeah, there, I couldn't believe care, how enjoyable these yeah, were. Yeah, if if you care about Appendix N enough to be listening to us talk about it, then you are almost certainly going to enjoy these stories a great deal. Assuming that, like me, you uh, managed to get through your life without having read them already. <laughs> I yeah. will. I will add for those of you who are on the uh, the fence because you're afraid you can't get the stories or what have you. The collections are cheap on Kindle. The audio version is available as a collected uh, collection, which Neil Gaiman actually does the intro for. What? Uh, yeah, uh, he he convinced them to do the audiobooks. That's amazing. Yes, he loves the, the stories, and if you want just the the individual stories, you can buy those separately for only like three or four bucks. So, folks, if you if you have a if if you have a uh, local used uh, bookstore, please check check there first. But if, if not, uh, if you're shopping on on Amazon, be sure to use the Tome Show's uh, affiliate link on thetomeshow.com. So we get we get a tiny bit of the of the money to to help us pay the uh, website hosting fees. 
um, and as we as we bring this show to a close, uh, Jeremiah, where on the web can people find you? Uh, I have a YouTube show called The Basics of the Game. I also have a blog uh, called, uh, funny enough, The Basics of the Game. Um, and uh, I also find, you can find most of my stuff at jeremiahmccoy.com. And Darcy, where on the web can people find you? Uh, I can be found at most places at Darcy L. Ross, D-A-R-C-Y-L-R-O-S-S. Um, the, the three things I'm going to pitch briefly are the I'm a writer for Gnome Stew, which is a, a blog that has a lot of cool um, role-playing game-related uh, uh, articles on it. Um, I'm a member of Contessa, an organization that uh, supports and highlights women in gaming. And um, I have a podcast called Cypherspeak, which is about the cipher system. Um, and so that, that's cypherspeak.com. Nice. And Jeff Wickstrom? It continues to be the case that you can find me at jeffwick.com, J-E-F-F-W-I-K. There you can find my comedic retelling of the story of King Arthur. Arthur dies at the end. And Mm -hmm. in the event that I actually manage to finish something else, uh, it'll it'll be there too. So be aware. If you, if you have uh, suggestions for what you would like to see at jeffwick.com, maybe you have a challenge, a writing challenge for Jeff Wickstrom to tackle, maybe you can, you can contact him through his website. How about, how about that, Jeff? Ab- absolutely, <laughs> although I will warn you, I have a nine-month-old son who consumes most of my attention at the moment. So, And your sleep. <sighs> oh, I miss I, I miss getting a good night's sleep do on, what, on the do on the what, regular. That was so good. You don't know what it's what it's like until you don't have it anymore. Do what <laughs> most writers with a young child do: write about your child, or drink heavily. That's also a possibility. I, well, <laughs> my, chi- my child is the best baby ever, so there may be something to that. Yeah, maybe. Distinguished listeners, you can find me on Twitter at Jeffrey D. Wynn, that's G-E-O-F-F-R-E-Y-D-W-I-N-N, and I'm also on Instagram with the same handle. I frequently post pictures of breakfast. You can email me by emailing thetomeshow at gmail.com. Make sure to put Appendix N in the subject line. Our very next show will cover The Castle of Iron, the third story about Harold Shea the Enchanter by L. Sprague de Comp and Fletcher Pratt. Coming up in March, you can hear us talk about three more stories by August Derleth, The House on Kerwin Street, also known as The Trail of Cthulhu, The Dweller in Darkness, and The Lurker at the Threshold. That will be our second and probably final time covering Derleth. If you haven't listened to our first Derleth episode, go back and give it a listen. We had a pretty good discussion. Also, that same month, we will be discussing Adept's Gambit, a Fawford and Grey Mauser novella by Fritz Leiber. I'm certainly looking forward to everything that's to come, and I hope you'll be reading along with us. This has been a Tome Show production of Appendix N, Episode 38, The Sunken Land and Thieves' House by Fritz Leiber. Thanks for listening.